This morning's scripture reading is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We are continuing a series on work and rest. And we've had a few sermons on work. And we've had several on rest, because rest is more difficult for us to comprehend. And if you remember, I've been working through some of the more detailed or nuanced areas of resting. I've been talking about some of the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines, that involve our our working toward receiving God's peace and rest. And if you remember, I was gone for two weeks, but two weeks prior to that, I talked about the practice of praise. That we need to be people who are in the habit of recounting God's word and his works in history and in your life and his character and his covenant. And that as you exercise that that practice of praise, you are ushered into a, a, a deeper awareness of what God has done and you are refreshed in the gospel. Then after that, I talked about being honest about your, your real struggles the true areas that you are hiding, pretending like they're not there, that as long as you're harboring those things, the light of the gospel can't shine into them, penetrate them, and and reveal God's truth. And so they have power in your life still. So if you really want to enter into God's rest, you have to be brutally honest with yourself. And you have to open the closet and get the skeletons out and just come clean before the Lord. He knows you're broken. He knows what you're thinking. He knows you have doubts and fears and all of that. He's not surprised by your sin. So if you, in great honesty, can, can walk before the Lord and bring those things to bear, then, then the gospel can, can come in and, and bring refreshment and healing in the places that, that uh, you don't want to go to. And that will provide you with rest. And today we see yet another discipline and, and yet another psalm. And this is the last weekend in July, and uh, summer is coming to a close, and I like to preach psalms in the summer, but it just so happened that, that several psalms fit with this series of work and rest. Uh, this psalm is a very popular one. It is the introduction to the book of psalms, and it has uh, a lot of wisdom for us in how to rest by meditating on the Word of God. So that's what we're looking at today. I'll remind you that in the book of psalms, there are only two paths. There's the wicked and there's the righteous, which is just what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, right? There's trees that don't bear fruit and there are trees that bear fruit. There's a wide path and there's a narrow path. There's planting, uh, you, there's, there's building a house on sand or building it on the rock. There's only two options. And in the Old Testament, the wicked are those who are not in the covenant. People who don't know the Lord, who aren't holding to his promises. So it's, it's most of the world. And the righteous are those who are walking with God in the covenant and the grace in which he has provided them to walk. So it is always by grace from first to last. So knowing all this, let us, um, let us pray and see what God has for us this morning. Lord, we do ask that as we look at your word, we pray now that your spirit will be active. 
that as we've read it, we pray that we'll understand it, that we'll apply it properly, that you will change us as we make use of this time, that we would know you better, that you'd be glorified in our lives. We pray for greater freedom and greater rest and peace in the things that you want for us. We pray that we would have that contentment no matter what the circumstance, because your word tells us of so many important truths. Guide our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a time in history, in World War II, there's a bunch of uh, Nazis encircling thousands of British soldiers, and they were trapped, and they knew they were in trouble. And they got a message out, and the message went to commanders that said that they were pinned in, they were hemmed in, and, and it looked like they were going to, um, uh, to be destroyed. Uh, they knew that the British Army was busy other places, and it said, but if not. And that is a referent to Daniel, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are standing outside the furnace, and they say, if you don't worship our gods, we're going to throw you into that furnace. And they say, hey, our God can deliver us from the fiery furnace. And of course, you know that he did. But he said, but if not, we will not worship your gods. And this letter, this message to the British commanders was a referent, a biblical referent. And it rallied the British troops, and they came, and they had a a decisive victory instead of a a great failure. And my question to you is, do you think that our society is near as biblically literate as it was back then? That they would know that, but if not, was referring to the scripture? Think about that for a second. The Bible is really losing ground in our society, isn't it? I mean, there are people who are Christians. And I, in Philadelphia, I met all kinds of Christians. And I said, hey, do you ever read the Bible? No. Have you ever read the Bible? Well, you know, I, I read parts of it in CCD. I remember bits about it. Well, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Said, but, but you never interact with the Bible. No. Do you know what it says at all? Well, not really. I say, Wow. Do you know that the Word of God is absolutely fundamental to being a Christian? It is foundational. How do you know what kind of Christian to be? What do you know what, who God is or what He wants from you or, or, or what the Gospel says? It's only by the Word. People have no idea. And think of all the pe- people who have rejected the Bible, not even just in Christian circles, but people who just wholeheartedly reject Christianity and reject the Bible and won't read it, never have. Never will. And yet the Bible is the most printed, most published, most distributed, most read, studied, beloved, most important book in all of human history ever, period. It is a record of God Almighty interacting and communicating with his creatures throughout thousands of years of history. If there was ever anything for you to know, to read, to learn, to take into yourself, isn't it what the Creator has said to His creatures? He has, in the fabric of history, spoken. He has not remained silent, He is not far off, He has communicated. Is there anything more worthy of your time 
There is no true Christianity without God's word. Let me put you to the test. Now, if you're my age, you think of Seinfeld or Friends. If you're younger, I don't know what you're watching, you know. Big Bang, Goldberg, something on Netflix, I don't know, right? Um, Can you name 12 episodes? I mean, can you talk about what happened? Well, I remember the episode where, you know, Joey did this or that, you know. And and remember the episode that, can you name 12 of them? I bet you can. Can you name the 12 minor prophets? Can you list them? Can you, can, you, can you write next to them just like a sentence of what the message of that book is? Ooh, I, you don't have to tell me. I know we would fail miserably, right? There'd be a lot of Fs on that quiz. And you can see that when it comes to pop culture, we know all kinds of stuff. We know who's who. I can't keep up with it anymore. I'm officially old. I don't know what is going on out there, right? Uh, the, the new artists and everything, I... I, I I thought it would never happen, Bo, but it has happened. But the Word of God. You know, most of your trouble and your depression and your anxiety and and bad decisions and damaged relationships, they could be so well informed by God's Word. Many cases avoid it altogether. That as you look at God's Word and you digest it and you apply it to life, over the long haul gives you wisdom. That's what we're going to see in Psalm 1. It's, uh, I'm, some of you have read this and memorized it. Um, and uh, Sorry if I'm preaching to the choir, but um, let's dive in and look at it verse by verse and we'll see some truths in God's word here for us today. Verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Blessed, meaning It is well with your soul. Not just happy, but this deep abiding contentment in the peace of God. You are resting when you are not doing these things. Walking in the counsel of the wicked. In the counsel means that you are getting worldly advice. Other sinners who are giving you direction and, and bits of information that can help you live a more worldly existence. Okay? Uh, Again, the wicked, anyone who's not bent the knee to Jesus Christ. They're they're only sheep and goats. Only two paths. So, do they have wisdom to bear? Sure, you can learn from people who are, quote, wicked. But when it comes to understanding God, you need to be able to discern what is the counsel of the wicked. And then it talks about the way of sinners. See, it's one thing to walk around and get some worldly advice. But then you see a progression from walking to standing. And standing in the way of, meaning the lifestyle of, the behaviors, the expectations, the peer pressures, the systematic air of the world. And then it progresses even further from walking to standing to sitting. And you are sitting on the throne of judgment because you are a scoffer at this point. You've not only imbibed of the counsel of the world, but you've gone into the way of the world. And now you sit in judgment. And it's you who determines what are the faults and the errors of other people because of your own superiority. How right and smart and funny and worthy you are. You become critical. And see, the preeminence of self takes over and other people are hurt. 
Verse 1 says, you want to be blessed, don't be like this. But there's an important truth here for us. You see the progression of sin. Sin is like a snowball. And it's rolling downhill. And you dabble with it just a little bit. And it will surprise you. And I have a friend. I know a guy. Christian guy. Involved in leadership. I just spent a week with him at a Christian conference. And on the way home, I catch him in an affair. Sometime later, I say, hey, whatever happened in that situation? He said, you think you can handle it? I said, I don't know. And this is the part where little kids should put on earmuffs, okay? This is the truth. He said, uh, I got her pregnant. She couldn't handle it. She had an abortion, and she went back to her husband. And I say, brother, what were you doing? How did this happen? What were you thinking? And he said to me, quote, sin will take you down further and hold you down longer than you ever thought possible. And it reminded me of Lot. You know Lot, Abraham's nephew. They leave the Chaldeans together and they go out and eventually make it to the promised land. And then they separate. And the scriptures clearly say that Lot was living near Sodom. And then a little bit later, he's living in Sodom. And then a little bit later, it says he was at the gates of Sodom. So he was kind of progressing from the being around to being in to now sitting down at the seat of politics and discussing life with the, with the folks of Sodom. And as you know, when the angels came to his house and the men of Sodom surrounded and wanted to have access to those men for ungodly things, he delivered unto them his own daughter to be abused all night. And you say, how is this possible? It's just the progression. It'll take you places you never thought possible. It will. And it all starts with the simple things, the simple steps. You know, in the end, he loses his wife, his village, his home, and he's in a cave, and he gets drunk with his two daughters. And you know what happens. Sin is a progression. It is, as God says to Cain, crouching at the door. Its desire is to master you, but you must master it. Crouching like a beast, like a predator, you know, hiding, getting down low. I'm not so bad. I'm not so scary. I'm not even here. At the door, you know, when you, when you enter a, a door, you're not thinking about what might attack you. You're preoccupied. But sin is crouching. It's hiding. It's sneaky. It's deceptive. I bet if I gave everyone a microphone, we would have lots of testimonies of where sin has taken you down further and held you down longer than you ever thought possible. Well, blessed is a man who does not involve in that progression. How do you know that progression? It's in the Word of God. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Your source of joy and vitality and true living, true strength and hope comes 
from understanding, knowing, reading, applying God's instructions, his statutes, his ordinance, his, his knowledge of the, of the God who made you and the God who created everything. He knows the best way for you to live because he's designed you. And he gives you these instructions. And it is a great blessing. And so it is our delight to meditate upon them. How often? Day and night. And the word meditate is referring to a cow chewing cud. Just think about that. So a little bit here and there. You're all throughout the day. You're, you're pondering the word of God. Maybe you read something in the morning. Maybe you wrote a little something down. But you're thinking about it and you're applying it to all the circumstances of your life. And as you do that throughout your life, there is healing and refreshment and refinement. There's sanctification and there is rest. There is protection. There is safety. There is hope. God's word is living and active. And God gives it to our, our benefit. And so it is our delight to chew on it as a lifestyle. Like we read in Deuteronomy. It should be everywhere present in all of our life. What does that do? Verse 3, it makes us like a tree planted by streams of water. You're not tossed to and fro. You're not buffeted. You're not wandering into, into worldliness and the confusion of that council. You are planted. You are a living thing, strong, and being nourished by the streams of of water, the fountainhead of life. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's the same concept here that if you are a tree planted by streams of water, you are constantly nourished. That the word of God to you is a stream of sustenance. As one woman said, when I read God's word, it restores my sanity. That I'm, I'm bombarded and buffeted by all these different concepts and ideas and struggles throughout life. When I get in God's word, the dust starts to settle. It's a tree that will yield fruit in its season. You don't have to focus so much on whether you're being fruitful. Just focus on imbibing at the fountainhead of life. And the fruit will come in its season in its time, in God's way. But by the way, fruit is something that is for somebody else. See, in the first verse, we see people who are about themselves. But in God's way, you are so nourished in Jesus Christ that you can bear fruit and you can feed other people. That you don't hurt and take from other people, you give to them because of the abundance of what has been given to you in the gospel. So God will work through you and and make you useful in his kingdom. And then it says its leaf does not wither. There will be trials. This tree might suffer drought and and heat and other types of of trial in our lives. Those are just metaphors of the persecutions and the, the, the sufferings that we will endure. But we can, in fact, endure them. His grace is sufficient. There are lots of difficult things that can happen. But in a sense, all that you do, you will prosper. Not in the way that you might want, or the way that you might think, or the way that some people teach. But your life 
the inward being, the soul will be at rest and at peace and you will prosper in God's will as you feed upon Him. You will be able to stand firm. Remember, eternal life is knowing the one true God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. And that eternal life has begun in you who have given yourselves to Jesus Christ. Life is just beginning. It doesn't matter how old you are. Life is just, eternity is around the corner. Life forevermore is about God and knowing Him and being known by Him. It reminds me of folks in the Bible like Daniel or Joseph who suffered great things. Do you know, some people believe that when Daniel was taken to Babylon, that he was made a eunuch. That's suffering. Of course, you know the story of Joseph being denied or betrayed by his own brothers and thrown into prison twice over, accused falsely. And yet both of these men, God used them for purposes greater than themselves. And they were blessed. So verse 2 tells us what we ought to do or the way we ought to be. And verse 3 tells us the results. That we have a greater ability to rest. To be stable and fed and bearing fruit and a sense of vitality. And that's really what you're looking for. All good things come from God. Verse 4 tells us the results of verse 1. Verse 4 and 5. That if you ignore God, if you're, not, if you're, if you're uh, avoiding God at all costs, you don't care about Him, well, not so for the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. And for you young people, I'll let you know that chaff is a part of the wheat. That when they grind it, they throw it up in the air and the seeds, the nourishing part, falls to the ground and the wind takes the dust and the, the, the useless part away. And where does it go? Nobody cares. It's just blown away. Never to be thought of again. This is serious business. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. That's a play on words from verse 1. And they're standing in their way, but they will not stand in God's judgment. God will judge, and we are passing through to true life. We can only experience it in part here, but it will, it will come to fruition, and there will be the great separating of the sheep and the goats. And we're all kind of mixed together, and life has its ups and downs. It's all kind of convoluted now. But there is, in God's approaching kingdom, when it is consummated, it's clear. There's a delineation. There is eternal blessing in knowing God, or there is judgment. It says in verse 5, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Another uh, it should remember verse 1, that they have their own way in their own congregation. They're sitting around in judgment of others. But that's not the real assembly. The real assembly are the called out ones. The church of Jesus Christ. We will be in the congregation because God has made us righteous by the cross. Verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Another play on words from verse 1. To know God, to be known by God. That's what life is all about. How do you know this God? 
the Bible. Again, you can't understand Christianity apart from the Word of God. Who is it that we serve? What does He want? What has He done? We would know nothing of God. But He has been faithful to reveal through the Scriptures His truth, His character, His covenant, His works. Now, some people think that they know God by the heritage of their family or their church, from the youth group that they grew up in, from, the, from you know, some denomination that they're a part of, or some small group. Some people think they know God by some direct communication from the Spirit, like a zap of electricity that gives them new information. Be very, very careful. We don't want to put words in God's mouth. So be careful when you say, God told me this or God told me that. Because I know you didn't hear God's voice or we could write it down and add it to the Scripture. And now the Scripture is closed. Canon is closed. So we know God's not saying that anymore, okay? That was Hebrews 1, the way He used to. Various times, various ways He communicated to our forefathers. But in these last days, He has communicated to us through His Son, who is the exact imprint of His nature. God has no more to say than what Jesus Christ has demonstrated and who he is and what, and what we know about him is in the word of God. So, is the Spirit zapping you with new information from God? No. The normal way of knowing God is in his word. And the Spirit works through the word. The Spirit illumines the word. You won't even understand the Bible if not for the Holy Spirit. You will not discern its truths. And I can attest to that. There was a time when I was an adult and not saved, and I was reading the Bible. And I remember just the, the, the veil over my eyes. I didn't understand what, what it was about. I couldn't understand why people were interested in it. And then on the night that I, I, was, I finally had a sense of fear of God, the Spirit had come upon me and lifted that veil. And then the Word of God was really living and active. And I just digested it. I finally got it. And I couldn't wait to read it. I consumed the New Testament in a few months, I studied voraciously because they were words of life. Some people think they know God because of some sort of spirituality or the circles that they run in um, by their age and experience or their education. You can know all kinds of things about history or all kinds of things about God or the Hebrews or whatever. That doesn't mean you know God. Some people think it's from natural creation. Well, I mean, there's truth in all of these things. You can learn something about God in nature. You can learn something about God in your traditions and church and youth groups. I'm not saying these things are bad. But think of the primacy of God's word above all of these things. And especially the opinions of the masses. Some people think as long as the most people agree with me, then I'm right. I mean, how can all these people be wrong? They can be wrong. God's word is our plumb line. It is the standard. It is the truth. It is the light to our path. It reveals to us what we need to know about Christianity, what we need to know about our God. And as we meditate upon it, there is healing and rest and peace in the things that you desire at hand. Again, it restores the sanity of an insane world. The Spirit works through the Word. And so as we're meditating on God's law and on His statutes, we will be growing in wisdom 
as we apply those truths to all the areas of life. And then you'll be able to help other people. You'll be able to counsel other people to raise children and grandchildren and other folks. I mean, you will have wisdom. You will have fruitfulness as God has sanctified you, as you've released yourself. As you allow yourself to die and say, God, have your way with me. As you enter into that rest, you become more and more useful to other people. The Bible is super important, super relevant, and absolutely foundational. Let me give you a a few points of application. We're so busy, right? How do you get more scripture into your life? Well, I hope you know that they have scripture that is audio recorded. You can listen to it on any format, MP3 or whatever you want. Some of them are, are uh, dramatized. You know, you can hear different actors' voices and swords clinking in the background and all. You know, it, it's more like story form through, through the, the Old Testament histories and so forth. So you can listen to God's word when you're traveling in the car, when you're doing chores, when you're spending long periods of time doing whatever, some kind of work or some, some period of time alone. Um, two, you should set aside a daily liturgy. You should create a daily liturgy where you set aside time to read God's Word. And for me, if I just read it, it's not good enough. i got to get all my little colored pens and highlighters out and make my little arrows and circle little things and underline stuff, or I just don't feel like I've gotten in it. You know, pastors, they do little experiments where they, uh, you know, they... Uh, if I were to give you a manuscript, we're doing a manuscript study, and I just have you look at it, the, very, the, the best observations would come like after 20 minutes or after half an hour. Okay? And so in that liturgy, you want to set aside enough time uh, to read God's Word. But I understand, we're busy. What else can you do? Well, you can read God's Word and you can write down the part that you really want to meditate on on a note card and take it with you. And you're standing in a, in a line, you know, what they call a queue in Scotland. You can pull out your card and you can, you can read it. You can put these cards in various places where you, you're sitting in traffic and there it is on your dashboard. I mean, isn't that the wisdom of Deuteronomy 6 that we read? Put it in front of your eyes. I mean, one guy, he has in front of his screen uh, on the computer, on the TV, I will not put anything before my eyes. You know, that is unpleasing in the sight of the Lord. Um... I have not looked lustfully with my eyes. You know, these, these are uh, ways that he is uh, using God's word. Um, you can put them uh, you know, in, in the bathroom. I mean, you spend time in the bathroom. Everybody does. You know, that my daughter has a book that she's sitting on the bathroom floor. And it's a Calvin and Hobbes book. And for whatever reason, uh, in the short amount of time I'm in the bathroom, I, I have like studied and memorized the picture of the dinosaur on the Calvin and Hobbes book. That's just, I need to have some scripture there on the wall, right? Because I don't need to, to memorize pictures of dinosaurs. I, I don't. But God's word would be productive and helpful to me. Something else that I do with my kids, I quiz them. You're in the car, I'll be driving home this afternoon. Right? I will quiz them on the Bible. They enjoy it. It's fun. I make a game of it. We read the Bible together as a family. Take turns reading. There are lots of ways that you can, as a lifestyle, start to put the Word of God 
more and more and more into your daily existence to your own benefit. And as that great prophet Bob Dylan once said, you've got to serve somebody. There's only two paths. You can serve the devil or you can serve the king of creation. You belong to somebody. Who do you belong to? Whose ways are you studying? Whose path are you learning? Remember, Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh. It's not merely academic. You're not to rearrange mental furniture all the time. It's intimate and personal. As you read and as you ponder and as you listen to what the Spirit is telling you, about the Word and how it applies to your life. It's God's love and grace shown to you, His wisdom for you. I want to finish this way. I I mentioned Lot. What a wreck, right? Do you know what the New Testament calls Lot? A righteous man. Lot, who was troubled day and night by what he saw in Sodom. A righteous man. How is that possible? Well, I ask, how are you righteous in God's sight? It's the same way. How is it possible? It's by the scandal of the gospel. That's the only way. Jesus Christ makes him righteous by going to the cross and paying the penalty for all that foolishness. And he gives to Lot as he gives to you the free gift of his righteousness. His works, his righteousness, his perfection given to you. And he becomes your substitute and he pays the penalty for the second death, God's judgment, on the cross for you. Because he so loves you. For God so loves the world that he gives Jesus Christ for you. So how do, we, how do we find atonement for our scoffing and our folly and our worldliness? It's by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And you can be declared righteous if Lot can be declared righteous by Jesus Christ's blood, the lover of your soul. How do you know about him? It's in the word of God. Chew upon it, day and night. Chew upon that, that gospel truth of your salvation. It's been secured in history for you. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the Bible. There are so many people who don't have it. We pray for them. God, help us not to take it for granted, but to, to realize how blessed we are to have your communication throughout history, to have... Uh, eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ and his work in the cross and, and the, the teachings of the disciples that tell us how to apply our faith in this world. God, give us more faith and help us to, to understand the world around us and its systems that we would, we would cling to you, take refuge in you, and, and yes, meditate on your word. We do thank you again in the name of Jesus. Amen.